Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. These are the stories told to me by my two best friends of 20 years. I'm going to preface this by saying these two are some of the most honest people I've ever known, and it took them years before they'd speak to me about this stuff. Once I was able to convince them to tell me about this, the older of the two brothers broke down into tears and abruptly left about halfway through the first story. It's just too traumatic for him to relive. I felt bad for that and haven't asked him to speak about it since that day. His younger brother that I'm closer with provided the detail as well as their cousin, who carries a religious title that's essentially an enforcement position designated to deal with the presence of skinwalkers and related threats. This is a really long post, so buckle up. I was told that the Zunis are a bit different compared to other reservations in New Mexico, specifically because when the United States government sanctioned land to all the native tribes, the Zunis didn't work with the government. Anybody who's traveled through New Mexico knows there's a casino on almost every reservation, 
The Zunis do not have a casino because they refuse to work with the government and specifically refuse to provide information about their heritage and the land they live on. My buddy told me the tribal elders taught him that the Zunis are in that specific area because they're protecting secrets of the land. I'm gonna add in a couple details that pertain to the story and I'll expand on that later. Apparently my friend the younger brother was born with a split tongue, like a lizard, and slits in his pupils instead of being round. You're probably making the face I made when I was first told that, but keep in mind all of this is religious to the Zunis. They're very serious about all of it. They do not allow non-tribal members this knowledge, nor do they allow the presence of non-Zunis. You can be visit if invited, but would not be allowed to stay during certain times. I'll start with the first story they shared when we were around 13 years old and is the first experience of many that is too much for my friend to relive. He said he was very young and was woken up abruptly in the night to glass breaking. When he opened his eyes, his dad already in his son's room motioned to him to stay where he is and be quiet while pointing a large revolver toward the kitchen where the window was broken. Not long after, his dad fired multiple shots. He then heard a screech so loud it hurt his ears along with a scuffle in the next room and saw a shadow on the wall that he said did not look or move anything like a person. Apparently, whatever was in the house immediately leapt out the same window that was broken to get in. He said the adults gathered and left to find it shortly after but was never told what they found, just that it was definitely a skinwalker. The day after he broke down into tears talking about it, I went and saw him and was apologizing, and surprisingly he said the shadow and screeching he saw scarred him and is ultimately why they left the reservation. I never asked him about it again. Another instance that the older brother told me was one that left me particularly intrigued, though I'm not sure why compared to some of the other story. He said they were having some sort of celebratory feast one night, and my friend saw what he described as a very small person stealing their food while the adults weren't looking. He said it was around one two feet tall, and when he saw it, he immediately shouted to his dad, and all the adults dropped what they were doing and immediately started chasing it, trying to corner it. This went on for a while, and during the commotion, they realized there were multiple tiny beings two of which were able to escape into the gutters. He said he remembers everybody trying to reach into the gutters and block them from getting away, but one was caught and he distinctly remembers his uncle holding it up high by the leg, and he watched it scream in terror, and it sounded like a tiny human. Then they immediately tied it up and stuffed him into a cloth pouch and burned him alive over a fire. He said the way it screamed while burning terrified him because he could hear how much pain it was in. But they are human-like. By the way he explained them, they seem like something that looks like lawn gnomes. He doesn't know if they're necessarily evil, but they kill every single one they come across. Not sure why, but that one really creeps me out. The next time... I remember the two brothers were together somewhere out in the wilderness hunting rabbits just outside the reservation. They were walking home because the sun had just went down, but came across a barely standing shack. Being dumb kids with a pellet gun, they went inside, and shortly after a rock hit the wall of the shack. 
So they immediately go outside and within seconds notice commotion in the vegetation about 30 feet away. They had one flashlight, so they point it toward the movement, and a human-looking figure stood up, faced them with, its head tilted to the side, described it as very, very pale with facial features that were not human. He said, I don't know how to explain it, man. It just didn't look like a person. So upon seeing that, they immediately took off running back home, and as soon as they did, they see coyotes just sitting alongside the trail, standing off to the side, but all were just staring at them with no fear of their presence, and followed them all the way back. They said they were told by the elders they being warned off, and the commotion in the grass was the skinwalker changing form. They said they never went back to that area again, and the younger brother said he'd never been so terrified. I'm glad the younger brother told me about that story instead of his older brother. The younger brother still today is able to better deal with harsh realities. He told me that him and a couple friends would play around this mountain and knew where the entrance to a cave was. They tried to go into the cave, but not far from and the entrance got too small for him to fit, and even his ten-year-old torso wouldn't squeeze through the narrow opening. He said they were off to the side of the entrance, hiding from another friend, walking toward them, and noticed something moving very, very fast going in and out of the cave entrance. He and his friends said they went back every day for over a week and would watch them for hours, but could never see what exactly they were, but were astounded at the speed they moved at, but didn't understand how they were getting in and out as they were much bigger than him. He was forbidden from ever going back after the adults found out what he and his friends were up to. As for their cousin, that carries the title given to those who were there to deal with skinwalkers. I ended up getting pretty close with him too, since his cousins are like family to me, and I picked his brain one night. He said they consider them a manifestation of pure evil. They're ruthless, and they know they're not supposed to be around the Zuni people. They're fully aware of their actions. If they find out a skinwalker is near, they immediately hunt it down, catch it and string it upside down over a fire and burn it alive till there's nothing left, bones and all. During that process, he said the sounds they make is like nothing you'd hear anywhere else. He said you can't kill them with bullets and there's different levels to their abilities. They can affect you in a variety of ways, but always in a negative fashion, such as leaving you sick or dead. If I remember correctly, there's a time every year where everybody but him and others with his title stay inside and lock the doors and block the windows, and he will then walk the town in specific clothing and chant specific words, then hunt skinwalkers with his peers. I didn't really understand, but it was implied that skinwalkers are expected to be present around this time. But he spoke about it like it's something completely normal. I think it's like a holiday, and during this week or so, there's a period where the skinwalkers arrive, and that's the main reason they designate enforcers, that are trained to deal with them, and apparently never look the skinwalkers in the eye. One last story I'm going to share is not from the Zuni reservation. This is a story my uncle told me, and takes place in a reservation outside Bernalio. A small city, which is about... 20 minutes away from Albuquerque, but I don't remember the name of the reservation. So my uncle was a sniper in the Air Force and saw combat in Panama. After leaving the military, he was a firearm instructor. 
for PD, Albuquerque police, then for Bernalio. One day he gets a call about a drunk guy acting strange at the base of a mountain. So he shows up but doesn't see anyone there. So he gets out and starts looking around and at the base of the mountain he finds clothes neatly folded. As he turns around he's surprised by what he calls the biggest wolf he's ever seen in his life about 20 feet away walking straight toward him. He said it it was around five feet tall and staring right in his eyes so he immediately puts his hand on his holstered gun but doesn't draw and starts walking backward toward his car while the wolf continues toward it. Once he reached his unit he gets inside as fast as possible and when he shut the door it was now an inch away from his window. He said he had to look up at it while seated in his unit. He then makes a sorry I'm leaving gesture and drove down the road where he met one of the reservation officers. She asked him what happened since he was pale and visibly shaken. All he was able to muster was, I don't know, it's massive and I don't think I belong here, I didn't. Uh, and she immediately put her hand up and said, don't worry about it. I gotcha. I've been wondering when this would happen again. Go ahead and get out to here. Then she drove off. She didn't go to the area, but rather parked her car sideways, blocking the entrance to that area, and started making call. He says, by the way, that thing was looking directly in his eyes, not to mention the absurd size and aggression slash lack of fear, also folded clothes, that he knew he was face to face with a skinwalker, and he hopes he never comes across something like that again. To end this, I'll talk about what the younger brother told me and shown me about their heritage. One day he took out a box and showed me the contents, saying that his father had given it to him and had been passed down from father to son for over a thousand years. Inside was a couple different dry plants and various things, but most notably a rock carved by hand of a reptile-like humanoid. It looked like a person, but with armored scales and face with a protruding mouth and large teeth. I don't want anybody to think I'm a conspiracy theorist, because I'm not, but this thing looks exactly what I've heard explained reptilian aliens would probably look like. We were both pretty amazed, as he never really thought twice about what that would mean. Around this time, we were getting stoned and entertaining ourselves with aliens and laughing about conspiracy theories. Keep in mind, this is the guy who was born with a split tongue and slits in his eyes. His mother confirmed that to me as well. He went on to tell me the Zunis are protecting the secrets of the land and their reservation doesn't have a casino because they refuse to sell out all their knowledge to the government. He said he was taught the beings came out from inside the earth and met with their people thousands of years ago. These beings lived somewhere inside the earth where it's warm and eventually these reptilian beings went back to live under the surface. I don't remember if they went back into the earth after they had some feud or war or if it was because of outsiders arriving, but after they met the ancient Zunis for a short time, they bred with each other. My buddy is apparently a descendant of those two species mixing and is why he was born with a split tongue and slits in his pupils. Now, I don't know what connection skinwalkers have to this reptilian species that live inside the earth or roasting tiny food thieves and celebrating while they scream through an agonizing death, but I do find it very interesting that all of this is associated with native belief. 
I plan on going over all this with him, too, as I'm going off of memory from five twenty years ago. The younger brother is my closest friend, so if anybody has questions, I'll do my best to answer. Or if there's something you'd like me to ask him, I can do that as well. A few years ago, I used to have to do a long drive from northern Illinois down to western Kentucky about twice a month. I had gotten to the point where I knew the drive like the back of my hand. Sometimes it was actually a lot better to make the drive early evening and do a bulk of the nine-hour drive through the night getting me there about 1.32 a.m. No traffic, and in the summer it was relaxing to drive with all the windows down. After crossing into Kentucky, there was about two hours of road without even highway lights. But, like I said, I'd done it so many times before. One of my last trips I'd been heading down that stretch, and I had my brights on, and the distance on my driver's side of the shoulder I could see what I thought was a deer. Got a little closer, and I realized it was a wolf. Now I'm coming up on this, and it's on all fours. But its back had to be almost level with the roof of my sedan. I thought, hold it, that thing's huge. Now I'm doing probably 80 miles per hour, and I swear we lock eye. I can feel him looking directly at me. I'm getting closer and closer. Now I can actually see his teeth. I couldn't believe what I was seeing was an actual animal. Then, as I'm probably 50 feet from this thing about to pass it on the driver's side, shoulder it stood up on two legs still staring directly into my eyes. I passed. And the rest of the drive I tried to figure out what I'd seen or should I loop back. I never told anyone that story because most people would say, Oh, it was late. Your mind was messing with you. But still to this day, I won't forget how long that stare down was. I can't help but think. I didn't catch him by surprise. More like he wanted me to see him and if he really wanted to stop me, he could have. I had seen my fair share of darkness throughout my years as a police officer, but nothing could have prepared me for what awaited me in the small town of Willowbrook. It was a place where the line between reality and the supernatural seemed to blur, a place plagued by a series of inexplicable disappearances. And now it was my duty to unravel the mystery that shrouded this town. My name is Officer Mark Sullivan. A seasoned veteran of the force with a past I would rather forget. I had seen the worst that humanity had to offer, but this case was different. The townspeople whispered tales of a creature lurking in the nearby woods, a malevolent force responsible for these vanishing acts. Skepticism tinged my thoughts as I delved into the reports and witness testimonies. How could a creature be the cause of all this chaos? Determined to get to the truth, I began my patrols, keeping a vigilant eye on the town and its surroundings. The first few nights were uneventful, reinforcing my doubts about the creature's existence. But as the days turned into weeks, strange occurrences began to unfold before my very eyes. Shadows danced in the moonlight, and whispers carried on the wind. Something was amiss, and I couldn't ignore it any longer. The tension in the town grew like an ominous cloud, 
spreading fear and paranoia among its inhabitants. I knew I couldn't face this threat alone, so I reached out to my fellow officers. Together, we formed a team determined to hunt down the creature and put an end to its reign of terror. We armed ourselves not just with weapons, but with the determination to protect the innocent. We ventured into the treacherous woods, our flashlights piercing the darkness like beacons of hope. With every step, our senses heightened, alert to any sign of danger. The forest seemed to close in around us, whispering secrets and taunting our fears. But we pushed forward, our resolve unwavering. As we delved deeper into the heart of the woods, we faced our worst nightmares. Each member of our team confronted their deepest fears, battling their own demons while remaining united in purpose. We learned to trust each other, to rely on the strength of our bond, to overcome the darkness that threatened to consume us. And then, at last, we found it. The creature emerged from the shadows. A formidable sight that sent shivers down our spines. Its eyes glowed with an otherworldly intensity, and its presence commanded a primal fear. It was more than we had anticipated, but we refused to back down. In a desperate attempt to outwit the creature, we devised a plan. I created a decoy. A lifelike figure meant to draw its attention away from us. As the creature lunged for the decoy, we attacked with all our might, exploiting its momentary vulnerability. Blow after blow rained down upon it until finally it lay still, defeated. We had won. The creature, once an enigma wrapped in shadows, was now lifeless before us. The weight of the town's fears had been lifted, and a newfound peace settled over Willowbrook. It was a victory hard fought, but we had emerged triumphant. In the aftermath, the townspeople expressed their gratitude. Their eyes filled with a mixture of relief and awe. They saw us as heroes, but deep down we knew the truth. We were just ordinary people, flawed and scarred by our pasts, who had come together to face an extraordinary threat. As I walked away from that small town, my heart filled with a sense of accomplishment. The darkness that had haunted Willowbrook had been vanquished. I had been working as a park ranger for over a decade, but nothing could have prepared me for the events that would unfold in the remote national park I patrolled. It was a typical day when I received a distress call from a group of hikers who had gone missing. They were well-equipped, experienced hikers, so I knew something was amiss. I immediately set out to find them. As I hiked through the dense forest, I couldn't shake off the feeling that something was watching me. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up and my heart raced as I heard rustling in the bushes. I tried to tell myself it was just a wild animal, but deep down I knew something was wrong. As I ventured deeper into the woods, the feeling of unease only grew stronger. It was as if the forest was alive, and it didn't want me there. I pressed on, determined to find the missing hikers, but the trail soon became difficult to follow. I could see signs of a struggle, and my heart sank as I realized the hikers might be in grave danger. It wasn't long before I stumbled upon a makeshift campsite. Tents were ripped open, and backpacks were strewn about as if someone or something had ransacked the campsite. 
The hikers were nowhere to be found, and I knew I had to act fast if I wanted to find them alive. As I searched the surrounding area, I heard strange noises coming from the trees. It sounded like a low growl, but it was unlike anything I had ever heard before. I drew my weapon, prepared to defend myself, but the creature that emerged from the trees was like nothing I had ever seen before. It was a large humanoid creature with matted fur and razor-sharp claws. It was clearly intelligent, and as it bared its teeth at me, I knew it was hunting me. I fired my weapon, but the creature seemed unfazed. It charged toward me, and I knew I had to run. I ran as fast as I could, but the creature was right behind me. Its hot breath was on my neck, and I could feel its claws scraping against my skin. I stumbled, and it was all over. The creature pounced on me, and I knew I was going to die. But as the creature loomed over me, something strange happened. It stopped as if it had suddenly lost interest. It looked up towards the sky and let out a deafening roar before disappearing back into the forest. I was left shaken and confused, but I knew I had to find the missing hikers. I eventually found them alive but traumatized. They told me stories of a creature that had been stalking them through the woods, but I knew they wouldn't be believed if they shared their experiences with the world. I made sure they got the medical attention they needed and escorted them back to civilization. But, but the memory of that creature still haunts me to this day. I've never seen anything like it before, and I hope I never have to encounter it again. The woods may be beautiful and serene, but they're also full of mysteries and dangers that we may never fully understand. I didn't hear this, but my mother did. My mother, sister, and I had taken a trip to Oregon to see my dad in the summer of 2002. He lives in Parkdale, Hood River, Oregon, and there is a lot of forested areas around his place. The three of us were in the camper one night, very tired from driving. My mother was, for some reason, awake and laying in the bed. About three in the morning, my dad's peacocks and ducks and guinea hens started freaking out and making loud noises. My mom wondered why they were doing this. She figured there was a fox or something in the hen house. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. But then everything became quiet. And in the not-too-far distance, she heard this yelling and screaming. She laid in the bed, listening for a few minutes, and every animal she knew went through her head. She used to work in a zoo, so she knows quite about about animals. Every animal that went through her head had no sound like that. The screaming went on for a little bit, and then sounded further and further off. She finally fell asleep and told me about it when I woke up that morning. I had chills going down my back because a few years before that night I used to come to my dad's every summer. One night I was in a dead sleep and my dad's dog started growling and barking. He slept in a kennel right next to me. 
and after my mom told me about that night, I thought of the dog barking. What if Bigfoot was looking at me through the window? Just nights before my mother heard this, we had been driving up into Oregon. I was driving, and my younger sister was in the passenger seat. Both of us saw a huge black figure walk across the road, just at the end of our headlights. When we passed it, I looked at my sister just to make sure she saw it too. Moments later, my mother made me stop and get out so she could drive. I was, of course, afraid to do this for the nine-foot man that just walked across the road. First, my friend Mike and I, along with two girls, were at the city park and heard it from Bellow from the hill behind us. Three days later, we went back again, and this time I saw it. I thought it was a tall pole, but it looked to be wavering in the breeze that was blowing. I called Mike over to look, but it wasn't there. Then it caught my eye. We saw it walking up the hill where we had heard it earlier. My second sighting was at our family farm, three miles away from the first sighting. I and my friend Bill rode out to the farm that evening to check on things since nobody lived in a house there. As we turned into the driveway, the headlight swung, and there it stood, stepping over a five-strand barbed wire fence. It had its hands on the top wire and was swinging its leg over. Its eyes glowed in the light like an animal's. We left in a hurry. I used to do a lot of rock climbing in the Sierra Nevadas. My climbing partner and I also liked the cave and just roam, check out whatever we found. We were hiking and climbing below the giant bridge in Northern California. Everyone based jumps from below it. We found an abandoned mine with a concrete plug in the main entrance. But we found a path going up the hill a bit and followed it. We found an air shaft that had been opened. So we did our normal, got ropes set up and lowered ourselves in. We had headlamps and were armed. We weren't worried. We went down the tunnels, checking random stuff out for 15, 20 minutes or so. No big deal. It was pretty neat. Then it was a big deal and not neat. We found a door cut in the rock that led to a small chamber, like 15 by 15 or something like that. The entire room was painted gold with weird symbols everywhere. There was a center rock pedestal exactly like an altar which had symbols painted on it as well. Circles with lines through them and dots. Just weird symbols. Nothing I could tie to any religion I'm aware of. There was dried blood everywhere. It dries like a brownish red and it was everywhere. On the stone in the center, all over the walls, everywhere. The room was completely clean, otherwise no rock rubble, trash, paint cans, nothing. Like it had been swept. We looked at each other and said, Oh, no, and got the F out of there. We tried to tell the authorities, but they either didn't believe us or they didn't want to go down there. We never went back. I was hiking in the Wind River Mountains and came across two creeps scaring a young college girl to tears. She was doing stream samples for some study, alone, and they happened along and started harassing her. They told he couldn't leave until she showed them something. Despite not having any signal, 
I told them I was on the phone with the ranger's office, and also had my .45 visible on my hip. And I escorted her out of there, back down the trail, and back to her car, looking over my shoulder the whole time. Once she was safe and I got signal, I did call the ranger's office and local police and told them what happened. The Appalachian Mountains rise tall and proud with their rugged peaks and dense forests that stretch as far as the eye can see. As a park ranger and a native of the area, I was no stranger to the beauty and majesty of the mountains. But even I was not prepared for what I encountered one fateful night. I received a distress call from my tribe who were residing deep within the Appalachian woods. They told me that something strange was happening in the forest and that they needed my help. I immediately set out to investigate, knowing that the safety of my tribe was at stake. As I approached the reservation, I was struck by the beauty of the forest. The towering trees loomed over me, casting dappled shadows on the forest floor. The sound of rustling leaves and rushing water filled the air, and I couldn't help but feel a sense of awe and reverence for the land. But my sense of wonder was short-lived. As I was patrolling the reservation, I was suddenly attacked by an unknown predator. It was a monster unlike anything I had ever seen before. Its eyes were wild, and its howls echoed through the forest. It was a windigo, a spirit of the northern forests that was said to drive people mad with hunger. I fought back with all my strength, but the windigo was too powerful. I managed to wound it, but it disappeared into the forest before I could finish it off. I was left confused and disoriented, struggling to make sense of what had just happened. Eventually, my tribe found me, and I told them what had transpired in the forest. They were shocked and frightened by my story, and they feared that the Wendigo would return. But I was determined to protect my tribe, and the next day I set out into the forest once again, this time armed with preparation. I knew that the conflict with the Wendigo was not over, but I was ready for the challenge. I knew that the safety of my tribe and the balance of the forest were at stake, and I was determined to put an end to the terror of the Wendigo once and for all. Again, as I entered the forest, I felt a strange sense of calm wash over me. I knew that I was not alone, that my ancestors were with me, guiding me towards the Wendigo. The sound of rustling leaves grew louder and out of nowhere he appeared in front of me. I soon found myself facing the monster once again. This time, I was ready. I called upon the spirits of the land and reached for a twelve-gauge. An exciting feeling surged through my body. The Wendigo howled in rage as it felt the bullet go through its thick skin. Unfortunately, it lunged at me with its razor-sharp claws. Our battle was intense and the forest shook with the fury of our fight. The windigo was strong, but I was stronger. I could feel the power of my ancestors flowing through me, and I knew that I was going to win. With one final bullet, I defeated the windigo, and he just turned over and ran. The forest grew quiet, and I felt a sense of peace settle over the land. The balance had been restored, and my tribe was safe once again. I returned to the reservation where my tribe was waiting for me. They welcomed me with open arms, and I could see the relief in their eyes. 
They knew that I had saved them from the Wendigo, and they were grateful. From that day on, I was known as the protector of the Appalachian woods, and my tribe held me in high esteem. I learned that the magic of the land was powerful, and that it was our duty to respect and protect it, so that future generations could enjoy the beauty and majesty of the mountains. Little background. I'm agnostic and pretty skeptical. I don't believe in really anything paranormal, but I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness, and the time of this story was during the late 80s, early 90s, mid-Satanic Panics era. There was a lot of circulated rumors about this or that being demonic, and you had to be careful about what you're brought into your house, lest you invite demons into your home. So I guess they're like vampires or bedbugs. Also, lots of urban legend stories, a lot of them involving Smurfs, like Smurf wallpaper stomping newborns to death in their sleep and the like. Important to understand is that JWs don't believe in ghosts or aliens or anything else, but rather than discount the stories themselves altogether, they merely blame them on board vindictive demons messing with us because they've been banished to Earth. As they are fallen angels, Oh, and interesting side note, apparently this eviction from heaven only happened in 1914. Not sure why God waited so long, maybe it's like renter's protection and he needed to give them tons of notice and a free month's rent or something, but I digress. So, yeah, basically, if there was a J.W. Scooby-Doo cartoon, every ending would be the same. Now, let's see who's really behind this. And they'd remove the rubber alien mask, the glowing ghost sheet, the dinosaur fossil. I knew it. Just a regular old demon. Anyway, around nine, ten years old. I start being left home alone. Big family, so didn't happen much, but when it did, I started noticing things from the corner of my eye around the edges of darkened corners. Only a couple of times did I notice a discernible shape, and it looked like this stuffed toy someone in the house had recently gotten. Black furred, big, nosed, kind of goofy, yet terrifying in the right context. I guess think five nights at Freddy's style. Sometimes I'd get so freaked out I'd bolt out of the house with barely a jacket or shoes on and sit outside my house in the winter. I can't remember what excuse I gave when my family came home and found me shivering on the stoop, but I didn't tell them the truth. I even started to join my mom on painfully boring errands. Kids nowadays will likely fail to understand what hours of errands at the hair salon, dry cleaners, the bank, or Fanny's fabrics is like without cell phones or Nintendo switches. At best, we had tiger handheld games, which were typically less fun than simply staring at your hands. But I endured it all rather than be left alone with the demons. In retrospect, all of this is easily dismissed young mind crammed full of the idea that the world is teeming with demons out to get him is left alone for the first time in his life and his mind conjures demons out of flickering shadows but it's what comes next i can never hand wave away quite so easily i'm about 11ish i think and i lose one of my last baby teeth maybe my last one i don't remember but it's more. 
JWs famously don't celebrate anything, but there is few things that weren't forbidden. I just don't remember if we did the tooth fairy thing. I mean, I know there was no pretense of a fairy, just my mom taking my tooth and giving me a dollar. But I know I didn't get a dollar for this last one. Maybe it was too late in the game, being the last-ish tooth and being the youngest of eight kids. The kid tooth market was now incredibly saturated. She probably had a coffee can full. Technically, she might have even qualified as an ivory dealer. So I go to bed that night, and I have an oddly specific memory of putting my tooth on my bedside table on the metal base of my lamp. I wake up sometime during the night, and it's full, deep, silent, scary night. Not my parents are still awake, and I can hear them watching M.A.S.H. in the living room night. It's one of those half-awakes where your dreams are still a vivid reality, and you can effortlessly step back into them. I'm instantly aware of a large, bluish-white, glowing presence at the end of my bed. It's an angel with its back to me, focused on something else. Which is odd in and of itself. As the only thing in that part of my room of interest was my Dick Tracy action figures. So hopefully he was bringing me the blank figure. Because I couldn't find that shit anywhere. I don't remember if I could move. But I didn't. I was scared, but in an oddly detached, non-panicky sort of way. He became aware of me and looked back, and not in a malevolent way, but not kindly either. It was more of a cold, slightly sneering indifference. Then I just fell back asleep. Which was obviously odd. Had it been someone innocuous like my mom in my room at 3 a.m., I doubt I'd have drifted back off so quickly let alone a potentially fallen angel rooting through my collectibles. I loved those Dick Tracy toys, and I was very paranoid and protective about losing the Tommy guns on those things. It happened to a J.W. pal of mine. His mom took him all their weapons, and he was left with a bunch of squat Lego grip-handed, suited old men with stupid hats, and who wants to play with that? But I digress again. Then I just woke in the morning, but I didn't immediately remember the previous night's visitor. I woke just like any other morning, sat up, but then paused during my crooked stretching. As my rested on my molar, still on the lamp base, but it had been expertly cut in half. It was perfectly smooth, like it had been done with a laser, and the other half was gone. I didn't immediately suspect my mother. Firstly, I doubted she had access to that level of technology. And second, if it was her, then where was my fifty cent? Only then did I recall the previous night's events. And as you could imagine, it shook me up. I mean, there was the spooky paranormal aspects that would scare anyone, but atop all that was the sheer randomness of it. Nothing added up to anything. It was just an absolute casserole of nonsense. Now, had the demon angel burnt a cockeyed 666 on my wall and left a steaming cauldron stuffed with Smurf merchandise, then okay, sure, I'd have been terrified, but at least it would have been on brand, and fallen neatly into place with everything else I knew. But what the fear did he want with half my tooth? I snatched up my half-tooth and went to find my mother, not really expecting answers, but at least wanting someone else to acknowledge and share in this messed-up situation. When I found her, I didn't editorialize or bring up any of the angel business. 
just handed it over with a, hey, look what happened to my tooth when I was asleep. She examined it closely, but far too briefly, and handed it back with something like, huh, that's kind of weird, hey, where's your father? Tell him breakfast is ready. Her lack of astonishment felt suspect. I went looking for my dad with the inner monologue of a TV detective. No, I don't think she did it, but she knows more than she's telling us. <clears throat> I didn't even bring it up to my dad, as my relationship with him was fraught, and it felt unwise to do so. More than likely, I'd have been blamed for it in some way, and I'd be interrogated about my color consumption. So I sat on this info. I think I tried bringing up casually with my mom again later, but again got nothing. A week or so later, it was missing off my dresser. I thought I maybe knocked it off or something, and it'd show up eventually, but never did. Shortly after this incident, we moved to a new house, and I never saw the flickering shadow demons again. I never had more issues with being left alone in the house. As a skeptical adult, looking back, I can say... Look, I turned 12, I got over my fear of being home alone, and maybe I conjured the angel memory from nothing after that tooth incident. But that doesn't explain the tooth, and I remember the tooth. I could feel myself grasping for plausible scenarios. Maybe there's some medical test that requires an inner tooth test, so my parents took it. But then why not just tell me? Why return the other half? It's the whole issue with this incident, as even if you accept the existence of angels, demons, ghosts, or the chupacabra, it doesn't really explain anything meaningful. So yeah, that's it. I don't think about it often, but when I do, it still bothers me. So at the end of all of this, I just hope someone or something is waiting for me and they have with them half my tooth and some goddamn answers. When I was a kid, I had a terrifying experience, which although I have grown out of, I still remember it, and it kind of bring me chills. One day, I was sleeping, and had the habit of covering my face while sleeping. I woke in the middle of the night, somewhere between two or three hours, so I took the cover off, because it was hot, and then I saw a huge, dark figure with big horns standing in the middle of the room. I was terrified in screamed from the fear and immediately covered my face under the blanket, which I stayed under crying from fear till morning. When I had the courage to take off the cover, I was relieved that nothing was there anymore. I was thinking that maybe I am just imagining because your brain can play tricks on you in the darkness, and I was specifically scared of the idea of ghosts and demons, and was afraid to sleep alone as a kid, so maybe it was not real. But what I can tell you is that I was not dreaming that night, and what I described is exactly what I saw. If any had any experiences like this, share. It is good to talk about it so we can feel better move on. Because ever since that time, I didn't experience any of that, not even sleep paralysis. So whatever it is, it feeds over your fear, or it is just a fearful kid's hallucination in the dark. I remember when I was 16, me and my friends were out. It was me, my friend Jay, and Harley. We were in this decently large park or lake with massive grass hills surrounding it. After finishing school, we decided to go to the park or lake, and by this time it was dark, since it being winter. We had walked up this hill with a forest line to our right, and 
thick grass bushes behind us. Sitting down, we could see our whole city lit up, and we were just talking, and I can't recall what about. Some point onwards, my friend Jay, who was the loud type, started whistling and shouting because of the echo you could hear. When from behind us, we all heard at the same time a whistle back. The same tone and pitch almost the same. We all looked at each other with a confused look on our faces when my friend whistled back, and after a couple of seconds, once again we heard the same whistle from the bushes. I know it couldn't have been the echo, because by the time whatever had repeated the whistle, the echo was gone. Now, stupidly, my friend had decided to shout at it, provoking it, not knowing what it is, and this made my heart drop to my feet. A somewhat rough try at what he said, screamed back at us, faint but clear. At this point, me and Harley were debating leaving, but Jay said, Nah, man, come let's check it out. Don't be pusses. So we followed him, her context in the next part. While walking to the bushes, about two hundred feet to the right was a passage of sorts, that when you walked, though, after about a minute led to a main road. As Jay was walking closer to the bushes, we were straying off a bit to the exit or passage, and we were telling him, common man, let's just go. I know me and Harley were thinking the same thing, that we hadn't known him that long. And a lot of what he said sounded and probably was a load of BS, but after this I trusted him with my life. Jay started to say he saw and was seeing something, so I said to him, What do you see? And he said, Like eyes. At this point, I thought he was lying, but then between him, the bushes and the moon, lit sky saw something dart out the bushes at him. I thought, What the F? Me and Harley looked at each other and ran through the passage. Jay started to scream while running, I was picturing it in my head. It must have been at least six feet tall, and it was skinny with long limbs, but a human-sized head. When we reached the road, we looked back. I could feel my heart in my chest and the adrenaline flowing. We shouted, Jay! And after about five minutes, he fell to our feet out the dark. And we sat him up and asked, what was that? He said, confused and with a dull look in his eyes. I'm not sure. We walked as far away from there, and after about an hour of walking, we parted ways, not talking about what just happened in disbelief. But the next day we met up, and he was covered in black and yellow bruises. Now, I still don't have any evidence except this story, and sorry for the bad punctuation and spelling, but I wane to share this story and see what you think.